Miscarriages of justice and unsafe convictions happen more frequently than you might think. They happen due to forced confessions, unreliable forensic evidence, mistaken identifications, and even inadequate defence representation. Miscarriages of justice result in the destruction of lives, with the wrongly accused often tragically spending years behind bars. Compiled and created in the height of the COVID-19 lockdown by the Maynooth University Evidence Class of 2020. This is Injustice is Served. podcast my peers and I will discuss Australia's most notorious miscarriage of justice. This podcast series will examine the facts of the so-called murder, how the case led to the miscarriage of justice, the evidence that came to light following the conviction, and how Lindy Chamberlain came to terms with this miscarriage of justice and where she is today. Lindy Chamberlain, the mother of a nine-week-old baby, went camping with her family. That dreaded night in question, one which Lindy will never forget, altered the lives of the Chamberlains forever. Not only did Lindy lose her child that night, but she lost her innocence, her integrity, and her future. This podcast will detail how the miscarriage of justice was formed, and what that meant for the Chamberlain family. How misconduct among the police and justice system can destroy an innocent life. So, stay tuned, and prepare to be submerged into Australia's most notorious miscarriage of justice. Facts of the Chamberlain case. Azaria Chamberlain was an Australian two-month-old baby that died on the 17th of August 1980. This year marks the 40th anniversary of what was the most publicised murder case in Australia and the common law world. The family had arrived at the Uluru landmark the day before with the two other sons, Aidan, aged six, and Regan, aged four. Lindy would later recall on this on this morning running into a dingo whilst caring for Azaria in her arms and she thought the dingo was casing the baby. Later on that day whilst having a communal barbecue with the Lowe family who were themselves a young family on holidays, a dingo was in the vicinity and Lindy had warned her husband after he had fed the dingo some scraps warning that he shouldn't encourage them. A while later Lindy went to put Azaria to bed next to her older brother Reagan and once the baby was settled Lindy returned to the campers. A baby's cry could be heard from the direction of the tent and a short, time le- a short time later and Lindy reportedly ran to the tent and cried out, My God, my God, the dingoes got my baby. Frank Morris, the first investigator to arrive on the scene, shined a light across the floor of the Chamberlain tent when he noticed blood on one of the rugs. Paul Prince led away from the tent entrance but faded as they hit the road. As this was going on, six-year-old Aidan wailed to Miss Lowe, showing her the empty bassinet and exclaiming, the dingo has their bubby in its tummy. Soon campers were using flashlights and heading out into the dark scrubland. Nearly 300 men, women and teenagers formed a human chain to look for tracks or pieces of clothing. Michael, who did not join the chain, had had already assumed the worst, telling a fellow camper she's probably dead by now. 
One week after Aziria's disappearance, Wally Goodwin set out for a gully at the base of Ayers Rock, with plants to photograph wildflowers along the way. While walking along a densely foliated animal path, Goodwin spotted shredded clothes resting near a boulder. Upon closer inspection, they proved to be a torn nappy and a jumpsuit. Goodwin reported his discovery and Constable Morris arrived to collect the evidence. On August 28, Detective Sergeant Graham Charlwood took over the Chamberlain investigation. While subordinates checked vehicle registrations on August 17, campground visitors, Charlwood could ponder on Inspector Gilroy's initial report on the case, which included suspicious tidbits of information. Gilroy reported that when Lindy had brought Azaria in for a medical checkup, the baby was dressed in all black. The examining doctor is said to have been curious enough at the, about the name Azaria to look it up in a dictionary of names and discovered that it meant sacrifice in the wilderness. Actually, it means whom God aids. Gilroy also commented that Azaria's clothes were, f- were found close to where the family hiked earlier in the day. He noted that the people who observed her that evening assumed she was holding a baby when they have seen her holding a white bundle to her breast. Newspapers fuel suspicions that the Chamberlains killed their baby, possibly as a, resi- as a religious sacrifice. Stories reported rumours that the Chamberlains were somehow linked to the Jonestown mass suicide two years prior, or that Azaria might have been killed to atone for sins of the Seventh-day Adventists' church. Reporters and the general public frequently observed the couple's demeanour in televised questioning and concluded it didn't match what they would expect from a couple that had just tragically lost a child. On October 1st, 1980 in Mount Isa, Charlwood conducted a several-hour-long separate interviews with Lindy and Michael Chamberlain. Mr. Charlwood, Mr. Charlwood questions took her along the timeline from their departure for Ayers Rocks to the days following Azaria's disappearance. The interview was relative co- relatively cordial, but Lindy expressed repeated frustration with leaks to the press of forensic tests that seemed to cast doubt on her accounts of the event. Charlwood took particular interest in Lindy's unusual reaction to his suggestions that she be hypnotised in an effort to pull out any adi- additional details concerning her sightings of the dingo around the tent. Lindy immediately rejected the idea, saying, The church wouldn't allow it and I wouldn't do it. God slew Saul for that. Did you know Saul and the Witch of Endor? It fell to the magistrate and coroner of Alice Springs, Dennis Barrett, to conduct what would eventually turn out to be the first of three coroner's inquests into the death of Azaria Chamberlain. The inquiry opened on December 16, 1980, with Ashley McNay for the Northern Territory laying out the case for human intervention in her death. The evidence suggests that her clothes were put in place, not dragged by a dingo, and the clothes showed sign of being removed from the baby by a human, McNay argued. Moreover, he added, the damage to the clothes is inconsistent with being caused by a dingo. McNay questioned Lindy Chamberlain but generally failed to show her as a mother with either the will or motive to kill her own child. Television cameras were live when Barrett announced his findings. Television cameras were live when Barrett announced his findings. Barrett concluded his discussion of the voluminous evidence by finding that Azaria met her death when attacked by a wild dingo whilst asleep in her family tent. Neither of her parents were Barrett found in any any degree whatsoever responsible for her death. Still, the number of oddities concerning Azaria's death convinced Barrett that the body of Azaria was taken from the possession of the dingo and and disposed of by an unknown method by a person or person's name unknown. Coroner Barrett's findings might have expected to discourage investigators bent on proving Lindy Chamberlain a murder, but they did not. 
On September 19, 1981, officers of the Northern Territory Police conducted a four and a half hour search of the Chamberlain's home, seizing over 300 items, ranging from items of clothing, the scissors, to the yellow Tarana that they had driven to Ayers Rock that day. Detective Charlwood revealed to Lindy that the search had been prompted in part by the finding of British forensic expert, expert James Cameron who concluded from examining the baby's clothes that no dingo had been involved in a disappearance. Lindy reacted coolly, I didn't know there were any dingo experts in London. In November 1981, Chief Minister Everingham, as Attorney General for the Northern Territory, filed a motion to quash the findings of the first inquest based on newly discovered evidence. What finally convinced authorities to push for a, single, for a second inquest was the presence of a large quantities of blood in the Chamberlain's dismantled automobile. The second inquest into the death of his area opened in Alice Springs on December 14, 1981, before Coroner Jerry P. Galvin. Des Sturgis, the barrister assisting the coroner, made clear from his questioning of the Chamberlains his belief that Lindy Chamberlain took his area from the campsite on the evening of August 17, 1980, and murdered her in the Yellow Tarana with a sharp instrument, probably a scissors. Many of the questions directed at the Chamberlains concerned the presence of blood in the family's automobile. Did you notice any blood staining inside or outside the car when you cleaned it? Recall cleaning blood off the seats. Sturgis called biologist Joy Koo, who testified that she found fetal blood beneath the passenger seat of the Tarana. James Cameron claimed in his testimony that the tear found that the tear found in Azaria's jumpsuit could hardly have come from Indingo. It's more consistent with scissors. A reporter from Sydney, Malcolm Brown, offered a concise comparison between the two coroners' investigations. The first inqu- inquest was about dingoes, Brown said, while the while this one is about blood. The blood evidence persuaded Galvin. He charged Lindy Chamberlain with murder and Michael as being an accessory after the fact. Hi, my name is Jason Gill, and in this section of the podcast, we'll be talking about the initial inquiry into the Lindy Chamberlain case and the subsequent second hearing, which resulted in a miscarriage of justice and a conviction of an innocent woman. The first hearing of the case was held in Alice Springs, Australia, in December 1980, which rolled on into January 1981. The Alice Springs magistrate supported the Chamberlain's account of the incident as the coroner agreed that a dingo had taken and killed Azaria. The Australian Supreme Court disagreed with this and quashed the ruling asked for a second hearing for December of 1981. The first hearing looked very positive for the Chamberlains as the judiciary seemed to agree with them. All the evidence presented by the Chamberlains matched the knowledge of the court. The Supreme Court's interference was most certainly disheartening but if they proved their case once, they could do it again. The coroner for the second inquest admitted that all evidence was circumstantial, however still pushed that a jury could still come to a decision. During the second inquest, the prosecution claimed the claw marks on Azaria's clothes were man-made and that the Chamberlains had done this to the clothes to mask the fact that they had murdered their own child. It was suggested that these marks were made with the scissors that was found in the Chamberlain's car. James Cameron also testified, saying there was a blood-like handprint on Azaria's clothes. The prosecution also claimed that the odd blood-like substance in the back of the Chamberlain's car was the blood of Azaria, which was in the car as a result of Lindy Chamberlain cutting her throat using the scissors. 
The stains splattering in the car seemed to indicate that Azaria was held under the dashboard of the car before her throat was slit. This was done without adequate DNA testing, mainly because of the lack of forensic testing at the time period. The prosecution finished off the findings by also claiming she then took the body and hid it in a camera case. The prosecution continued to paint the story throughout the trial that in a 10 minute gap, Lindy Chamberlain had slipped off to the tent and took Azaria from the tent without anybody noticing and back to the family car where she slit her throat and hid her body in a camera box that was never brought up in evidence at the trial. It was then stated that Lindy went back to the campfire before going to check on Azaria sometime later where she would then make up the Dingle story. The lack of blood found on her clothes was explained by the prosecution as they told the court she changed into Traxabombs, which were later taken from a dry cleaners, as there were 30 splatters of blood on them. The prosecution painted a very clear image, painting Lindy Chamberlain as a vile, degenerate murderer. Although their evidence was heavily circumstantial, they still did a good job of convincing the courts that Azaria was murdered. The defence backed up the Chamberlain's original case using several witnesses. The defence had multiple eyewitnesses who gave testimony that they heard a baby crying and multiple dogs barking in the area. There were also photographs taken by a police officer of paw prints beside the Chamberlain's tent. The defence also had an expert witness and a scientist who gave evidence that there was blood found on the tent walls, which would match that of a dingo attack. There was also a dingo worker in the area who claimed the area suffered a dingo overpopulation and that it would eventually lead to a situation like this. Paw prints leaving the camp area had a certain weight to it, but rangers saying the weight indicated the dingo was holding something rather heavy. Blood found in the front of the car was that of a hitchhiker the Chamberlains had picked up on their way to the campsite. Nut of Azari. The supposed blood splat in the back of the car was testified by two expert biologists to not be blood and that the testing done by the prosecution was inadequate. The blood-like handprint on Azaria's clothes were also found to not belong to Lindy Chamberlain as her hand was compared to the print was too big. The defence fought very hard as much of the circumstantial evidence was heavily against them. Their key use of scientific experts was vital in the spelling all claims that the blood in the car was Azarius. It instead belonged to a hitchhiker. Witness accounts also proved that Azaria was still alive after the mother checked on her the first time, which disproved the prosecution's claims that she was murdered by Lindy Chamberlain. As the case dragged on, the courts finally came to a conclusion in September 1982, in which Lindy Chamberlain was subsequently charged with murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole by the trial judge and her husband, Michael Chamberlain, was charged with a three-year suspension as an accessory to murder. It was now shortly after the conviction that Lindy Chamberlain was pregnant. The court seemed to ignore much of the evidence presented by the defence, instead often to believe the circumstantial evidence of the prosecution. The word circumstantial keeps getting used, as Azara's body was never found to support claims of murder. The case was a complicated one which tore many people's opinions apart. Both sides fought hard and tried their best to convince the jury and judge that they were right. However, too many questions were left unanswered as 1980s forensic science was not advanced enough.
This lack of testing led to a miscarriage of justice and a conviction of an innocent woman. Both sides back up claims with their version of forensic evidence, only to be picked apart by the other side. Continue listening to the rest of the podcast to find out if Lindy Chamberlain was eventually freed for being an innocent victim. Hello, my name is Joshua, and this section of the podcast will focus on the post-trial period and what happened in the following years after Lindy Chamberlain's conviction. Lindy Chamberlain had been charged with first-degree murder of her daughter, Azaria, and her husband, Michael, had been charged of being an accessory after the fact. On the 29th of October 1982, they were both convicted of this. Lindy was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole, and her husband, Michael, was given a suspended three-year sentence. Shortly after the conviction on the 17th of November 1982, Lindy Chamberlain was escorted from Berenwick Prison to Darwin Hospital in order to give birth to her fourth child, Calais. During her time in prison, Lindy filed two appeals against her conviction, one to the Federal Court and one in 1984 to the High Court, both of which were rejected. There was a high public reaction to the case and the case was probably the most famous or infamous and publicised trial in Australian history. Many of the public believed that Lindy had in fact murdered her child, mainly due to her showing little emotion during the trial proceedings and not behaving as you would expect a grieving mother to act. The phrase that Lindy called out when she seen the dingo taking her child was the dingo's got my baby. This phrase became popular among American pop culture being used for mostly comedic value, with most Americans not understanding the full story. Many popular TV shows such as The Simpsons, Seinfeld and Frasier were guilty of using this phrase. The final part of the case was discovered by chance when an English tourist fell to his death from Uluru or Ayers Rock during a climb. Due to the vastness of the rock it took 8 days to find his remains and they were found in an area full of dingo layers. On the 2nd of February 1986, while looking for missing bones that dingo may have dragged away, the police discovered Azaria's missing matinee jacket, which to this point the police had maintained had never existed. Five days later, with the discovery, the Chief Minister of the Northern Territory ordered Lindy Chamberlain to be released and the case reopened. On the 15th of September 1988, the Northern Territory Court of Criminal Appeals overturned all convictions against the Chamberlains. The baby blood the prosecution had so heavily relied on was found to be merely a sound deadener compound from manufacturing overspray. This, along with the recovered matinee jacket, led to the Royal Commission's doubts about Lindy's conviction. In acquitting the Chamberlains, the Supreme Court noted that the questionable forensic evidence had raised concerns about such procedures, stating that the DNA testing was not as advanced in the early 1980s, and that at the time, it could have been seen as reasonable evidence, even though it was eventually found to be faulty. In 1990, two years after their exoneration, the Chamberlains were awarded 1.3 million Australian dollars in compensation for their wrongful imprisonment. This amount was less than one third of their legal expenses during the ordeal. In 1995, with the advancements of testing, there was a third inquest into who killed Azaria whether her death was the cause of a dingo attacked or an attack by her mother. The coroner returned the verdict of open verdict, which considered the case and manner of death as unknown. Lindy and Michael Chamberlain continued to push into order to get a resolution to the investigation into the death of their daughter. A new inquest began in February 2012, 32 years after Azaria's disappearance.
The coroner, Elizabeth Morris, said that new evidence in relation to dingo attacks on infants and young children f- Fraser Island that had been collected by the government were main and important factors in her investigation. After many years of intense public interest and along with the new evidence, the Chamberlain stated that they remained unsatisfied with their acquittal and presumed innocence and wanted to finally determine how their daughter died officially. In June 2012, an Australian coroner made the final ruling that Azaria Chamberlain had died at Ayers Rock on the 17th of August 1980. The cause of her death was the result of being attacked and taken by a dingo. Coroner Morris then apologised to the Chamberlain family while an amended death certificate was immediately made available to them. Finally, after 32 years, Lindy Chamberlain had been completely cleared and was proven innocent with regards to the death of her daughter. In this segment of the podcast, we are going to discuss the implications of the Lindy Chamberlain trial and the new evidence that came to light after this miscarriage of justice was settled in court. After Lindy was convicted of and her husband Michael convicted as being an accessory, she was in line to spend the rest of her life in prison for the supposed murder of her baby daughter, Azaria. However, as discussed, this was a huge miscarriage of justice. We could see how, as they would call it, CSI evidence is believed as being a complete fact due to its scientific nature. The evidence had huge consequences upon her trial and it's clear that she did not have the presumption of innocence when taking on her case. The media and public had already decided her fate as a guilty woman. Lindy truly is a remarkable woman. This segment of the podcast, I will take you briefly through what Lindy is doing today and the implications this case had on the law in this area. The Chamberlain case is a reminder that the criminal justice systems are fallible. For the family, in this case, the legal system has, as far as possible, rectified the errors. The criminal conviction has been reversed, financial compensation awarded to Lindy, however this only did cover a small fraction of her legal costs, Um, however, um, and there is now also accurate recordings of the cause of Azaria's death. However, we can see in this case that it brought to light human errors which lie within due process and the massive implications this can have on the lives of those involved. Lindy, for example, was a criminal woman walking among the public every day. There were several people who never believed that she was innocent, even after several trials and, and several inquests. They never believed she was totally innocent. Even when the evidence came out that the liquid in the car which matched hemoglobin was actually a sort of chemical that they put on the bottom of the car and this was totally matched to the, the, the forensic evidence. We can still see how the people of Australia still want to believe that this woman killed her baby. 